0: Hi, everyone. Eric here. I want to encourage you to become an all-access subscriber to the China Africa Project. With your subscription, you'll get the China Africa Brief, which is our daily email newsletter, plus unlimited access to the China Africa Experts Network and all of our exclusive analysis on our website. Just go to dot com slash subscribe and enter the promo code podcast for an extra month free at checkout. Once again, that's com slash subscribe. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander and as always I'm joined by Kobus van Staden, a senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Good morning. Kobus, reaction and reflection is now setting in uh, following last week's Russia-Africa summit, the first one that was in the Black Sea Resort. Of Soshi, It was really a very, very interesting summit and part of the 2019 series of Africa summits. We had one earlier this year in Yokohama, Japan, that you went to uh, for the TCAD 7. There was also not quite a summit, but it was the Prosper Africa unveiling in Maputo, Mozambique, from the Americans. There's the Turkish summit. There's been, uh, There's been a number of them, and there's a number still to come. But this one was very important because it marked the revitalization of Russia's interest in Africa. The reason I say revitalization is because, well, under the Soviet era, Russia was very, very active in, in Africa. It's gone quiet, and now with President Vladimir Putin, he wants to be back. And by all intents and purposes, Kobus, it looked like he and his re-engagement in Africa was very, very well-received by the 40 heads of states and fifty-four or fifty-five African government representatives who attended the Sochi summit.
2: Yes, I mean this—that was a big crowd. Um, I think it was actually more African leaders that went to TCAD, um as as far as I understand. Um, so it's it's very interesting to, to to see this this level of interest from Africa, um, and you know it'll be very interesting to see which specific areas of engagement will emerge. Um, I think another question is to you know what role a kind of a shared anti-Western sentiment is playing here, you know, like to which extent Russia is positioning itself as kind of the non-West and then also how Russia will be uh, positioning itself in relation to China.
0: Well, it's interesting because I was putting together our daily newsletter, which I hope people decide to subscribe to, and it's part of what we do every day at the China Africa Project to uh, kind of provide a, what's called the China Africa Daily Brief, and I did a media brief on various uh, reactions to it, and it seemed like for, we're hearing back this idea of the scramble for Africa. That was a word that was used by the Daily Nation in Kenya, the Daily Maverick, uh, and it was very, very interesting to hear that that sense, but also in the Daily Maverick in South Africa Cobus, there was a um, a comment by some folks at Stellenbosch in Cape Town who who commented that once Africans start to see that basically Putin has a white nationalist that highly provincial uh, aggressive kind of agenda that he that those limitations on that anti western anti american uh, agenda may start to run into some limits. That's something we'd like to talk about today. But really what we're going to talk about is the China angle. And there was a very, very interesting article that posted uh, this weekend or on Friday uh, from the Carnegie Moscow Center, Russia and China in Africa, allies or rivals. And it was by Vida Stivak, who's an analyst, analytics project lead for Expert RA. That's a credit ratings agency in Moscow. This is our first time going to Moscow. Uh, For the show, a very good morning to you, Vito.
3: Hello. Hello. Good to hear you.
0: Well, it's excellent to be able to get a Russian perspective on the Russia-Africa Summit, and particular to focus on your article that talked about whether Russia and China have conflicting or complementary interests in Africa. I think it should go without saying that really the two are not direct competitors in the sense that Russia is an economy that's smaller than the state of California. China is the second largest economy in the world. Clearly, they're not matched in terms of economic power. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't run into each other as rivals or necessarily cooperate with each other, as Kobas alluded to, as anti-Western or anti-American allies. So why don't you make the case for us a little bit on allies or rivals, Russia and China in Africa?
3: Um, Yeah, thank you so much for taking an interest in my piece. Uh, I have been thinking about that for a while now. And what strikes me most is for the for starters, is the uh, American Africa strategy that was published a year ago, and there Russia and China is like two two non-democratic states who are close between themselves, we have been seeing a very rapid geopolitical rapprochement between those two, and they are automatically put together in Africa, where, well, sort of Western influence has been declining, Um comparatively in uh, the last few years and uh, that strikes me the most because they automatically are um, put on the one side of the barricade as if they are teaming up together in this region as well to sort of um, challenge the western influence and uh to, in my view, essentially, there is um, no such thing as any kind of teaming up at the moment. I, I do not see any kind of um, evidence to that. But what I see, and many analysts in Russia who watch um, Russia-China um, cooperation in various regions in the world... Uh, it is basically seen that Russia is seizing opportunities in Africa that do not require too much commitment, but bring immediate results. And what they're doing is that they're selling weapons and they sort of promoting certain dimi- um, diplomatic push to, in order to enhance um, some kind of uh, diplomatic and geopolitical influence. And these opportunities, they are offered by good relationship with China, Uh, Beijing right now basically allows Russia to develop its presence in uh, the region where China itself is uh, present in various forms and very vastly. Uh, And this is also offered by the relative decline of the Western presence in the region. And it is all um, comes down to selling weapons and getting immediate... Uh, practical profit from that and unnerving the West. And this is essentially what uh, Moscow has been trying to do for uh, several years now, considering all the sanctions and all the um, geopolitical isolation that has been uh, happening to that since the Ukrainian crisis evolved. But uh, if we're talking about um, the weight of Russia and China in Africa, obviously in the economic sense, Russia doesn't have the power or uh, any kinds of means to outbid uh, Chinese influence in the region, obviously. Uh, but we can see certain similarities, for example, when it comes to Chinese loans or investments in Africa. It doesn't really come with any kind of transparency or corruption, anti-corruption conditions. Uh, And when it comes to Russian arms sales to the region, it doesn't really um, come off with um, any kind of limitations in that sense. And this is what is uh, somewhat welcomed by the African states. This is what I'm seeing, that uh, they are kind of um, welcoming that sense that Russian influence in the region is Uh, coming with no strings attached. Uh, But uh, what I'm seeing as well is that China is sort of set to become a more responsible player in the region, and it is trying to become a mediator in different areas where there is conflict or there are tensions. And here where I can see uh, Russian and Chinese interests might potentially clash Uh, In the future, because Russia, with its opportunistic stance, that uh, will will basically we have the weapons and we will sell that to anyone, to any kind of any side of a conflict, uh, that might create a uh, certain difficulties for um, for Chinese economic interest in the region or its positioning as a responsible power in the area. Uh, so this is where I see that in the future that might might be some kind of a clash.
2: So Vita, um, the Chinese influence in in Africa, you know, is, is run by a number of, of of separate but related players, including state owned organizations. State owned enterprises, I mean. Um, state banks, um, and then a, a kind of a diplomatic level of, of engagement, um, you know, coming directly from the government. Um, what are the main players in Russia's engagement with Africa? Is there also a situation of state-owned enterprises being, you know, kind of expanding their international experience in international markets, or is it more of a private sector and government relationship? Uh,
3: so as I see, it, it is mostly government. It's mostly uh, officials who are... Uh, Unlike certain Western leaders, they are visiting Africa and they are meeting with African leaders. And obviously there are state-owned enterprises in Russia, such as Rosatom or Rosneft, uh, the major players of the Russian economy. But I do not see any private sector advancing in there in any kind of a tangible sense.
0: The United States has identified both Russia and China as its chief competitors and rivals in, in, in Africa. Uh, this came out very vocally in John Bolton's famous Heritage Foundation speech where he unveiled Prosper Africa, but it's come out by the Pentagon in a number of different ways and areas. And I guess it's interesting for me because uh, the history between Russia and, the, and China go back, uh, one is one that they've never been close. They may have overlapping agendas, uh, but the way that the United States is framing it is that both could present a challenge. Certainly, on social media, following the summit, a lot of Americans frame this as China and Russia teaming up, in some ways, to fill the political vacuum being left by the United States in, in a policy that is a foreign policy that is much more distracted now by Syria and the impeachment at home. So, I guess I'm wondering what you think the mood in Moscow is towards China, and do they look at it at uh, you know, their relationship with China in a complementary or an adversarial way. And again, we cannot divorce what's happening today from a history that wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was 1989 when I was in high school, but I was still pretty young, that Gorbachev went to Beijing during, of course, the famous Tiananmen Square uh, kind of standoff that was there. At that time, the massacre had not happened. Uh, But that was really in my lifetime when Sino-Soviet ties started to melt, so it's not that that long ago when these two powers were distrustful of one another. What's the mood today? Help us kind of get an understanding from Moscow.
3: To start, I would like to just look back to the 21st century really quickly. And in the beginning of the 21st century, Russia didn't really look at China and it basically missed its emergence as a... Um, like young great power, because Russia was um, very uh, concerned with building up ties with Europe and all the elite was looking to the West. But as soon as the, the tensions started to emerge and precisely after uh, 2008 global crisis, Russia sort of started to look west, uh, eastwards to China and it, mm, people in Moscow, they appreciated the way China coped with the financial crisis. And after two thousand and fourteen, after basically um, geopolitical isolation that took place in Moscow, uh, China was there to help out uh, Vladimir Putin and the Russian elite uh, to reestablish its um, position in the world and um, China was there to act as a uh, partner, which Russia was seeking really desperately back then and Over the course of the last five years, I would say that Russia and China have grown pretty close and there is a um, very multidimensional uh, cooperation which includes economic, um, trade investment, pretty large-scale military cooperation which unnerves many in the West and um, interests many in Russia. So... uh, Corporation is very strategic and it has evolved, uh, but I would say that it is very uh, uh, asymmetrical and it is very um, uneven. And Russia is taking a role of a junior partner, and it and it is dependent on China much more than vice versa. So uh, I would say that this is a very uh, well established long term partnership, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Russia and China would act together in different areas of the world, for example, Africa.
2: You mentioned the, the role of arms trade um in, in the, the Russia Africa relationship. Can you expand on that a little bit? What kind of arms are being traded? Where where are they going? And uh you know, kind of do you know, China is also an emerging significant arms trader to Africa. Um do you have any sense on how the Russian and Chinese arms trade to Africa differ or overlap or like how they might interact in the future?
3: For now, I think they are complementary. I think that uh, Russian arms—they are very, they're fairly reliable, and they are cheap, more or less cheap. Uh, and at the moment, I think there are 18 countries in uh, on the African continent that have signed sort of uh, some kind of agreements with the Russian side on the uh, arms trade. So there is a quite. Um, considerable presence there and also there are military advisors who work uh, for example in Central African Republic and they work pretty extensively and to the point that the personal um, the personal bodyguards of the current president of the Central African Republic uh, are uh, Russian military officers uh, so there is a some kind of very different forms of Russian military engagement but the scale of it is obviously cannot really compete with China and it is in my sense it um, basically goes upon um, the agreement of China basically allows it to happen and it will probably happen to the extent until China is comfortable with it
1: Support for this podcast comes from the Africa China Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at WitsChinaAfrica or visit africachinarreporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars.
0: I guess I'm trying to figure out what is appealing to African countries about dealing with Russia? I know why Russia wants to be to be more engaged in Africa because it allows it to allows Putin to be able to extend his influence. Uh, he's you know reengaging in the Middle East. Clearly, the United States is is leaving a void, uh, and I know U.S. officials would probably argue against that, but I, I think the reality speaks pretty clearly as to what's happening. Uh, Donald Trump does not seem interested in the least in Africa. So there is an opening there. Uh, So I'd like to ask both of you, and I'll start with you, Kobus. (laughs) I guess the part I'm struggling with is that if if Russia's main export to Africa is uh, arms, ultimately it's a destabilizing force because the last thing that Africa needs right now is more weapons. So why do African leaders go to Moscow or go to Sochi and engage with someone like Putin with as much enthusiasm as they seem to have done. I mean, really, there were smiles all around uh, at this summit, but he's not really bringing back much in the form of investment, in the form of, uh, I mean, he talked about bringing nuclear energy technology and whatnot, but there really wasn't much on the table. There was no massive aid packages. The loan relief that they gave was about $20 billion from the Soviet era. And the Africans weren't going to pay buck those loans anyway, because after all, that was 20, 30 years ago. Kobus, what is the incentive on the African side to be so excited about dealing with a guy like Putin and the Russians?
2: I share your, your kind of, you know, mystification on this. Um, you know, p- part of it, I think, relates to historical relationships because the, the, the Soviet-Africa relationship was very strong. Um, and obviously the Soviets were very, very, uh, influential in, in supporting African anti-colonial struggle. Um, and, you know, I think, I think now, from the perspective of the 21st century, we forget a how how harsh those struggles were how long they went on and then also how in a lot of a lot of countries the colonial era and a, a kind of a neo colonial era really kind of merged into each other you know that that after decolonization a a lot of, of african countries were in chaos and then there was they were facing a lot of uh, a lot of kind of pressure from the west a lot of economic pressure from the west so in that you know climate the soviet union played a, a strong role in, in pushing decolonization colonization but uh, you know kind of uh, I completely agree with you like they don't seem to be bringing a lot to the table and at the same time Russia itself you know in, d- domestically is starkly racist um, you know like China at least you you know kind of even though China has a lot of a lot of race issues with Africans at least China can can position itself as having also been colonized by Western countries having you know having been in some kind of uh, you know, kind of unhappy relationship with the, you know, to to put it in a kind of crazy way, but like in in you know with the kind of global whiteness, you know, kind of forces of global whiteness. Russia is, you know, classically racist, classically in lots of ways colonial power, in in in, in you know in certain ways in Africa. So so that I find also mystifying, and and you know it, it makes me think that there, that there are larger problems in the West Africa relationship. Um, than would it would seem on the surface. You know, kind of if 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 Russia presents such a kind of welcome partner to, um, you know, in in, in comparison to like the EU, even, you know, even if you're leaving the Trump administration off the table, um, you know, if Russia is so much more of an attractive partner to Africa than Europe, then that seems to indicate very worrying things about that relationship, I think. Uh,
3: so, yeah, I partially agree with Kobos and... But I would say that probably in the sense of Africans, Russia is not as much of a colonial power as uh, other Western countries would be. And, uh, and uh, right now, Russia in the position of a, it basically antagonizes the West altogether. And it acts as a um, kind of, uh, um, sort of as a, as a victim, in a way, but as a victim that strikes back, and uh, what Putin is saying about the de-dollarization or making uh, African econ- um, uh, economies sovereign again, that all is v- is a very sweet talk to uh, the ears of African leaders, and this is what Putin has been saying uh, at his meetings with. Xi Jinping, for example, but it it hasn't really happened. But it's all very uh, nice talk that serves its purpose um, for this big event, and I think this is what they want to hear at the moment.
0: So I guess as an American here, I'm trying to channel my inner American, which you know, Cobus is not always easy for me to do. <laughs> but let's let's try to you know, if you're sitting in Washington right now and you're you're looking at this, you're thinking. What the I mean what is going on because the United States remains the largest investor in Africa it's the largest aid provider and it it really would feel like an insult I think to Americans to see the enthusiasm with which people like Ramaphosa and Kenyatta who went to Sochi and embraced Putin because at the end of the day he's not going to provide a fraction of that and I still can't understand you know, it, maybe it's just about sticking it to the Americans. I, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't—that doesn't make any sense. But Vita, you know, what do you think the Americans take away from this? What does this say about the relationship between uh, Africa and the United States and Russia and the in the three and how they all sit together? As you said, Russia is really a destabilizing force in that sense, vis-à-vis the Americans.
3: Yeah, and this is the question I'm asking myself all the time, actually. Uh, I think that American alarmism in regards to Russia and for that matter China is becoming sort of a overwhelming force that does not allow Washington to see clearly, to see and to estimate the actions of China, of Russia in various areas and on various issues of the international affairs. And I think that people in Washington, they overestimate the scale, the intensivity and the level of influence that Russia can have anywhere in the world and the scale of its uh, friendship and its intentions with China when it comes to Africa or when it comes to Central Asia, for example. I think that this alarmism and this... Basically disengagement from the American side when it comes to Russia and to the Russian people—that what stops uh, people in Washington from judging and seeing clearly.
2: Mm-hmm. Vita, um, in, in in your previous answer you one of your previous answers you you mentioned that that to a certain extent russia has leeway to 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 expand its connections with africa among others because china is isn't countering it uh, or it, it is kind of like it's it's allowing it to the space to you know to to work in, in places like central african republic and other and other spaces um you know if if the relationship between russia and china gets more tense again like what would you what are in what are some of the tools in china's toolkit that would be that it could use to counter russia
3: so i think if china chinese and russian relationship are set to decline again uh, i think africa would not be the first place that they would clash i think it would start with such places as central asia Or the korean peninsula and africa probably would not be uh, the first one to witness any kind of um, a clash between these two powers but obviously china would have every instrument in its toolkit to counter uh russian influence if it wants to because well because of the economic scale of its presence in africa and elsewhere in the world and um, there might be certain ramifications for the politics that Russia and China take uh, in, the, in such international organizations as the UN. So in regards to Africa right now, Russia and China sort of acting together, but uh, that, might, that might change if uh, the bilateral relationship deteriorates.
0: Yeah, that's not a long-term relationship that I would necessarily bet on only just because of the history of what we've known from the 20th century. Uh, This has always been an uneasy relationship. Uh, Let's kind of wrap this up in just in terms of looking forward a little bit in the near term. Uh, There were no major promises put on the table, unlike other Africa summits where, including the Chinese, where there was a a dollar amount or there was some commitment – uh, Putin kept it quite kind of vague, and uh, and and people kind of went away thinking, okay. I mean, even the Japanese and the Americans said we're going to lead with our private sector engagement, and there was some hope that there was going to be uh, within the next twelve to twenty four months rumblings of after you know some things that happened coming out of those summits. What do you expect to come out of this summit last week in say the next year or so besides more Russian arms making it to the continent?
3: Yeah, honestly, I think. That depends on um, the economic situation in Russia, because most of the the agreements that Russian companies have proclaimed during the summit, they're mostly memorandum of understandings. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they would deliver anything. And that has been the case for a long time. Uh, For example, with certain Russian companies and the Chinese side, and um, I'm not sure that it will bring anything apart, anything more than more arms trade or more alarmism in the West, to be honest.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, that's an uplifting, positive note for us to end on. Vida Stivak is an analytics project lead for Expert RA, which is a credit rating agency. She's based in Moscow, and she wrote a fascinating article for the Carnegie Moscow Center, Russia and China in Africa, Allies or Rivals. Vida, are you on social media for people if they want to get in touch with you and follow what you're reading and writing these days?
3: Uh, yeah, I am. I'm on, my, I'm on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find me by my name. So, yeah, I'm there.
0: Excellent. Well, we will put a link to your Twitter account in the show notes. Show notes, we thank you so much for taking time to speak with us about the summit and your article.
3: Thank you. Thank you,
0: guys. If I am sitting in Washington and listening to what Vita says, I got to be honest with you, I'd be a little pissed. I mean, I'd be a li- <laughs> I mean, like, the fact that, that guys like Ramaphosa who in his weekly email address that goes out, that went out this week, in where he kind of gave his reflections on what happened in Sochi, was so effusive of Putin. Of Putin, um, I would find that offensive in the sense that, you know, what is Russia going to do for Africa? What was this all this hype out there for of last week? Nothing seemed to come out of it. Maybe it's just to stick the Americans in the eye. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what's the national... Geopolitical national security interest on the behalf of those 40 African heads of state who went there. What's their national interest for getting closer to Putin? Compare and, and at the risk of isolating the Americans, which who have been much more generous in aid and investment and everything else? I mean, I, I just I'm I'm perplexed right now.
2: I mean, one thing I can think is that it, you know, kind of it's an attempt to kind of push back against Against the optics of Africa being always beholden to the West. I mean, that, that, you know, to, so, so Russia does offer, offer one more option, you know, um, and so there is this kind of embracing of that option with the embracing of options like China and the UAE and other non-Western actors. But I mean, yeah. I mean, I I I'm, I share your mystification. Like you know, it, it it seems to me indicate to me just that the relationship that there there needs to be really serious thought put into what the what the kind of what the symbolic role of the West is. In in Africa at the moment, you know, kind of like wh- where where the West Africa relationship really is sitting at the moment, um, because you know, as as you've as you mentioned, you know, kind of it might just be this kind of gesture of like poking the West, but then why make that? Why is that gesture so necessary right now? You know, kind of why is that? Why is it making so much political sense to the level of sending forty heads of state? To, to the summit, you know, kind of um, th- that I think is, is, is really needs unpacking, you know, um, like why, why is the relationship, why has the relationship deteriorated to that extent?
0: And I think you have to be careful about the Russians and they have been a very destabilizing force in the United States in terms of what they did in the 2016 election in terms of interfering on Facebook and social media. Uh, there's been evidence that they've tried to do it in France, in Eastern Europe, in a number of different countries and so imagine if you are a small african country getting on the wrong side of putin and he turns his his cyber armies on you you know it's you're in a tough spot so i just i'm trying to understand the logic of bringing Putin into what the benefit is of bringing Putin into your, again, if you beyond just arms. But arms, come on, you can get arms from a lot of different places and you can get arms on the black market. The Americans sell a lot of arms. The Chinese clearly sell a lot of arms. That by itself is a commodity. So it's it's really interesting. And I thought it was interesting how upfront Vita was in it all. She was like, no, basically we sell arms and that's what we do. And there's not much more to it. I'm just trying to understand the, the the geopolitics from the African point of view and the various African leaders. A guy like Kenyatta, Ramaphosa, uh, Buhari out of Nigeria. What is their goal in all of this? Because Buhari's not going to sell oil to Russia.
2: Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, kind of in lots of ways, Russia r- Russia, and, and some of the African, um, you know, oil giants are in direct competition with each other. Um, so, you know, so there's that. Also, you know, r- r- like the, a a close relationship with Russia, (laughs) um, in Africa has, has, over the last 10 years, at least, that always had been shorthand for corruption, you know. And that that is um, that has been very true in South Africa because South Africa was an early adopter of this very close relationship with Putin, you know, because during the Zuma era, um, in South Africa's kind of pivot away from traditional Western partners towards towards new partners, it wasn't just a, a close relationship with, with China. It was also a very close relationship with Russia. But that relationship was marked by corruption on a, on a different level, than the South African relationship with China, um, and it's you know it's it's become sh- like having that close relationship with Putin, particularly, has become shorthand in South Africa for some of the Zuma administration's corruption. So that is, adds another kind of mystifying wrinkle to all of this. You know, kind of this why why embrace this partner that has you know shown its, shown itself in the past to have been not a very trustworthy partner. Um,
0: yeah, it's well. Let's look. Let's look quickly. Look at this from the the. The Russia-China angle. And I wrote an article on our website uh, that, uh, that got quite a bit of attention uh, from folks in Washington and Beijing. And again, this is the type of thing that we're generating on our site for our subscribers uh, and those that subscribe to the China-Africa project. Uh, the Russia-Africa summit in Sochi sounded an awful lot like a China-Africa summit. And it was interesting because I did a little bit of an analysis of Putin's keynote speech and he was bringing in a lot of themes that we've heard before from the Chinese. So instead of saying "win-win," which is the Chinese propaganda line for how it conducts its foreign policy, uh, Putin said he is in he is fostering, and this is a quote, "mutually beneficial partnerships." <laughs> Sounds very similar. Um, he even used the words "no strings attached." That was a key part of it, that we're going to give aid and investment with no strings attached. That's, of course, a word that is long identified with the Chinese engagement strategy in Africa. He talked about how they want to end the dollar dominance. And here's his quote. To reduce the share of the dollar and switch to other currencies – Mutual settlements. That, of course, has been part of the Chinese agenda to internationalize the Yuan and to break the dollar hold, particularly in Africa and in Nigeria. The Yuan is part of the reserve basket, along with a number of other countries. And finally, he said he's going to talk about state led infrastructure diplomacy. So he said, We, of course, will provide support at the state level. That, of course, again, is right out of the Chinese playbook as well. Not the private sector, but state led engagement in Africa. So I think in some ways it was interesting to see how Russia in many ways is copying, being inspired, whatever you want to call it, the Chinese model and in some ways it does show the increasing popularity of the Chinese model particularly among another power like uh, like Russia. What's your thought on that?
2: yeah no i mean it's it's very interesting um it it does it does certainly show how china has i think shaped the vocabulary of african engagement um, and you know and, and china has i think also shaped this kind of anti westernism you know as as part of of what it means to engage with africa now as a non western partner um but at the same time it's also it 's almost like the you know you know, to, to, like to take a Russian metaphor, it's almost like the like the Russian version is like this Potemkin village version of the Chinese rhetoric. Because in you know in state led infrastructure engagement, infrastructure diplomacy, and you know no strings attached policies and 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 um, currency internationalisation, all of those things, when China say it, they bring real economic muscle to that. You know, there is there, there's meaning behind that, or like economic weight behind the idea that that they might be. It might be useful for for um, African countries to trade in RMB. Like, what is ruble internationalization going to bring Africa? Nothing. Um, you know, like, wh- what kind of Nothing. what kind of infrastructure can 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 Russia really provide? It's a, it's, yeah. it's like this almost like this kind of play acting using Chinese language, um, which is interesting. But then also, what does it really mean in reality?
0: So, a compliment to the article that I wrote is an article that was written by Judd Devermont, who is the head of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic. And International Studies in Washington. That's one of the big think tanks inside the beltway there. And I'm going to quickly run through his five recommendations for how the United States should respond to the Russians and the Russia-Africa summit. Number one, the U.S. should act before the Russians. Washington can preempt or at least minimize opportunities for Russian engagement by getting more involved in those countries Moscow is likely to approach. Number two, the U.S. should work rhetorically to isolate, not elevate, Russia's profile in America. Russia, Moscow isn't a big player on the continent, so don't call them a great power. That is an instinct that Americans like to do, in particular because the military-industrial complex does like to kind of beef up its enemies in such a way so that to justify massive engagement on the military side. Number three, he says the U.S. government should practice positive engagement with African countries. You and I have talked about that before, Cobus. Number four, he says the U.S. should aggressively enforce UN and U.S. sanctions. Washington needs to make it clear that there's a price to be paid if African officials work with individuals or Russian agencies targeted by international sanctions. Again, that's again, what's the interest for the African side to deal with Russia when the risks are so high? And finally, Judd's last point was the U.S. government should challenge Russian propaganda efforts on the continent. So RTV... And the very formidable Russian social media enterprise will probably start to show its face in, uh, in, in, in Africa. And again, I'm not entirely sure African countries are equipped to deal with the Chinese, the Russians, the heavy propaganda that's coming in in all the different ways, just because these are very, very sophisticated operations that are coming in. So those are his five points. Kobus, you, what's your reaction in terms of what Judd said, how the U.S. should respond to this?
2: Well, I mean you know kind of i i, I tend to agree with, with Judd's points i, I think I, the only thing I would add is that the entire situation is is um is complicated by the fact that I think the u s is itself uh, coming from such a complicated position in relation to Russia at the moment, because obviously, officially, you know, from a State Department perspective, Russia is a big problem, but then within the White House, the, the relationship with Russia is a lot more complicated. Um, you know, and the, the, the Trump-Putin relationship adds a kind of a, a wild card aspect to all of this, you know, kind of which, which I think makes it harder for the U.S. to, to respond in a concerted, concerted manner. For me, it, it more, all, for me, the, the, the more fundamental question is, you know, goes back to, to the one that we raised before. It's like, why is the West Africa relationship so broken? You know, like what, what is, what is, you know, what, what needs to be unpacked in that relationship that, you know, that, that is fueling these kind of gestures? Um, you know, particularly the gestures that, that don't seem to be bringing Africa really may, very many concrete gains.
0: So, all of that is on our website. Judd's article, there's an article entitled With Africa Russia Summit Kicking Off This Week. Judd Devermont has some advice for how the U.S. should respond. That's on our website. My article's on the website. We hope that you'll go check out ChinaAfricaProject.com. If you like what we've been talking about and you're really interested in these topics, then you're going to want to subscribe to the China Africa Project. I mean, it's a unique resource. We're very, very proud of it. We're bringing in all these diverse voices to to comment on it. We've got some great African voices also commenting on the Russia-Africa relationship. And so this is something that you're going to want to check out. With your membership, by the way, your subscription, you'll get access to... Uh, The website, you'll get our Africa-China Experts Network, which is a -a one-of-a-kind experts network, and of course, the daily email China-Africa brief that Kobus and I send out every day. So um, that's the kind of a sampling of what we're going to do on there. So Kobus, okay, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, I suspect that Russia is going to be a topic that we are going to pick up again before the end of the year. Putin is not the kind of guy who, uh, who goes away quietly. I, it's not like the Americans, I think, who came out with this big Prosper Africa thing, and then we really haven't heard much from the Americans on Prosper Africa. Something tells me we're going to be hearing about the Russians uh, through the course of the year. I don't get the sense that he's going to go quietly into the night. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Kobus and I will be back again uh, next week with another episode. Until then, thank you so much for listening.
1: The discussion continues online. Head over to facebookcom China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Gwobas at Stadinsky or Eric at E. Olander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com.